The scripture reading will be coming from 1 Peter 5, 5 through 11. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 11. Likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I uh, must admit to you this morning that I, that I like shortcuts. Shortcuts. I remember... Uh, behind my house, we had some friends who lived behind our, our house when I was a teenager, and, and we would um, go over there to play. Now, you could go around the block to get to their house, which is a nice little walk, or you could kind of cut through the woods. <laughs> and so I, I, I enjoyed that, that shortcut, because it took us, it took out that hard part, that, that walk. I remember playing uh, Mario Brothers growing up uh, on, on Nintendo, and I could never beat the game, Mario Brothers, right? Until that was, that shortcut came out. There was, the, you got a, there was a way in which you could get 100 lives, right, over the, the five lives or so that you were given. Or there were, there were like these shortcuts, these secret passages where you could, you could go over and skip over boards in order to beat the game. I could never beat the game until I got those uh, shortcuts. I don't, I don't think I'm alone in the appreciation of shortcuts, amen? <laughs> Getting to a desired destination with the ability to skip over the difficult parts sounds quite appealing. Well, brothers and sisters, when it comes to the kingdom of God, there are no shortcuts. John 10, 1 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. There's no shortcuts. You can't, you can't jump over the fence in order to get into the kingdom of God. You, you must enter the sheepfold by the door. Jesus tells us. Then in Luke 9, 23, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, signifying that, the, that this road that Christians were on would not be easy, but it would be uh, difficult. When it comes to the kingdom of God, there are no Shortcuts. There, there are no secret codes that, that you can discover that is going to allow you to skip over the hard parts. There is only 
one road in the kingdom, and it is narrow. Matthew 7, 13, and 14, Jesus says that we ought to enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The road, the road is narrow. And it is not an easy road. But, but we must remember that it is a road that has been traveled before. There are others on the road. And in fact, the only reason there is a road, the only reason there is a path is because Jesus cut the path first and walked it alone. Peter, as he is seeking to close out this letter, wants to exhort these scattered Christians to follow, to follow in this path that Jesus has cut. If they are indeed followers of Christ, if they are now citizens of heaven, following, finding their identity in Christ, then they are going to need to follow the path he took. The question is, well, well what is that path? What is the path of the kingdom, well, the path that Jesus cut and modeled for his children is this path of humiliation to exaltation. Jesus humbled himself, submitting unto the will of the Father, suffering on a cross. He, he humbled himself and be, became like those whom he created. Humbled him, him, himself and took on the form of a servant, is what Philippians 2 tells us. And then he was highly exalted. This, this is the path that Jesus cut and modeled. But we also see it in the life of Joseph. Joseph was humbled. He found himself in a pit. He, he found himself in a prison, suffering. He went through humiliation. But then he was exalted, exalted to the second in command of and all of Egypt. We have Moses following this path as well. Moses, once a, a prince in Egypt, found himself taken low in the desert. And then the Lord, the Lord exalted him as he led the, the children of Israel out of Egypt. And, and as the Lord says, I had no servant like my servant Moses. This is the path, this is the path that the that the Lord modeled and cut for us. And this is the path that Peter is going to call these Christians to follow, and he's going to call us to follow as well in our text. But before addressing all the saints, he has a particular word for the young men that he is writing to. 
young men. He's in First Peter five five in our text. He says, "Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders." Paul, excuse me, Peter returns to this theme, this theme of submission. Submission. It's the, that theme that he brought up earlier back in uh, chapter 2 when he was discussing how Christians ought to be treating government, that we ought to submit to the authorities and the rulers and the governors that the Lord has placed over us. But he just doesn't have a word for, for us as Christians in that regard and how we relate to government. But there's a word for masters and slaves, that slaves ought to submit willingly to their masters. And wives are then, too, to submit to their husbands. He now, after talking about the responsibility that elders have to, to shepherd the, the flock that is um, amongst them, he says to the younger men in the congregation, be subject to the elders. Peter appears to be touching upon an issue that was perhaps a problem in the early church. And it's not a problem that is all too different than what we might see in the church today. Whenever or, or wherever there are young men, there is a temptation in their, in their youth and in their, in their zeal to want to usurp authority. It is often the, the young who who in their zeal and pride want to uh, rebel. We don't, we don't know what, what spurred Peter on to, to give this command to the younger men here, but, but perhaps it, it was these young men who wanted to fight back against the persecution that was coming their way. It was, the, it was perhaps the young men that were urging the elders to, come on, we can, we can take them. I know they're, they're, they're slandering us and know they're threatening us, but I think we can take them. Let's, let's, let's take up our, our swords and, and fight against those who would slander us and, and seek to, to persecute us. <laughs> Peter says, slow down, young buck, slow down. He, he, Peter is perhaps remembering or, or reminding, imagining him, himself as a young man. There, when he drew his sword, as those who came to arrest Jesus, and he cut off the, the ear of, of that, that, that man who came to arrest Jesus. Perhaps it's, it's, it's Peter uh, thinking about him spouting off his mouth claiming that he would never, he would never be the one to, to leave Jesus. He would always be by Jesus' side. Oh, the, the naive zeal of youth. Peter says to the young man, submit to the men whom the Lord has risen up among you to shepherd the flock. Follow, follow their good example and, and honor them with, with your submission. And he says that they are to do this by clothing themselves with humility. 
In fact, this is not just a word to the young men. Peter turns, Peter turns his intention to the entire congregation, to all the saints scattered throughout Asia Minor. Look at 1 Peter 5 and 5. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Peter is encouraging these saints to, to, to dress themselves in humility. Clothing, clothing makes a statement about who you are. Right or wrong, it is what people notice and often how you are judged. I mean, I mean, this cannot be denied. There have been numerous experiences done where the, where the same person dresses uh, two different ways and the reaction they get from people is varied based upon how they're dressed. How you dress matters. It was the way, that way in the first century and it is that way now. So Peter says, if that is the case, then how you ought to dress is that you ought to clothe yourselves with humility. Make that what people notice about you. May the impression you make on others cause them to notice and to speak of and to think about your humility. Brothers and sisters, we have talked about this over and over again. This has come out in our text before, so this is nothing new. Humility is not an option for the Christian. Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing, do nothing, nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That we ought to think about others before we think about ourselves. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to, with, to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Humility is part of our calling as believers. It is how we ought to walk in humility. Clothe yourselves, Peter says, with humility, all humility. Here's the deal, brothers and sisters. When people encounter you, they shouldn't encounter me monsters. The, the person who is full of pride and can't stop boasting about their achievements and about what they have done. No, may it be the opposite. May when they encounter you, say that they encountered a brother or a sister who took a genuine interest in my wants and my desires and, and who I, I was who desired the best for me and wanted me to flourish. Oh, yes, we are. We ought to be pursuing humility because this is the example that Jesus set for us. But there are also other reasons why we pursue humility. Humble saints, brothers and sisters, don't ever lose. Humble saints don't 
ever lose. I know this is hard to believe because the world tells us differently. You don't get ahead if you don't self-promote. This is what the world says. If, if you don't promote yourself, you're not going to get ahead. If, if you're not talking about yourself and your accomplishments, then who will? If you're not fighting your, for yourself and answering back every slanderous word, then you're not going to win. That's what the world says. But brothers and sisters, let me implore you this morning, please, please let us not take our cues from the world. It's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And you want to know why it's, it's dangerous? Because taking your, your cues from the world regarding self-promotion will soon lead you down a path to self-justification. Brothers and sisters, that's why pride is so hideous. The proud believe they can save themselves that they're good enough, that they dot all their I's and cross all their T's, that, 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 they, that they say their prayers in the morning and they, they, have, they have Bible study all throughout the day. They're the ones that say, thank the Lord, I am not like the tax collector. Listen, there are some things that the Bible is silent on. And, and, and there are some things that we just, we need to infer out of the text that, and, 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 when it, and make judgment calls based upon principles. But this idea about humility, pursuing humility, is not one of those things. It is all, humility, pursuing humility is always in order. And I can confidently say that the humble never lose. Now, this is not a transactional thing. Don't hear me when I say that. You don't show humility and God rewards you with what you want. You may not get the promotion or the job or, or the part you wanted in the play. But, but here is what I do know for sure, that when you humble yourself, you get grace. That's what Peter says. 1 Peter 5 and 5. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace. Oh, brothers and sisters, when you are being prideful, boasting about yourself, you think you are winning. You think you are winning, but in actuality, you are really losing because your opponent, your opposition, is God himself. You have no chance. God says that he shares his glory with no other. No other. You will not outshine God. Any glory you think you should go to you, God swallows up. You can't win. But the humble, the humble, they receive grace. They receive his favor. The God of the universe, the God who made everything, the, the sovereign, all-knowing creator is on your side. 
That's what it means to have his favor, to have his, to have his grace. And he gives that to the humble. Proverbs 22, 4, the reward for, for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. You don't lose. Proverbs 3 and 34, toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. Proverbs 25 and 9, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Oh, there's plenty more scriptures that we could go through to support this wonderful reality that, that humility in the Christian life gets rewarded. The humble don't lose. You receive the favor of the Lord. Path. Path in the kingdom is always marked with humility. In fact, that is, that is how you get on the path. That is how you get on the path. You must humble yourself. You must admit that you are a sinner. Admit that you are not good enough. Admit that you don't have it all together and that you can't save yourself. You have to cry out like the tax collector, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's how you get in. It's the only way to get on the path, God gives grace to the humble. There's no other way. It's the way of humiliation. Humiliation. But the journey doesn't, doesn't end there. On the path, there are obstacles. And Peter calls out two in our text. First, First, there are anxieties on this path. They're the obstacles of anxieties. And boy, were they so for Peter's original readers. You, you remember, you remember the circumstances that are surrounding our first century brothers and sisters. They were scattered and dealing with acute persecution. As followers of Jesus, they were being reviled for their faith being slandered and even threatened with physical harm. So each day, think about this. From an each day, I could imagine they woke up worrying and wondering what they would be called today. How would they be made fun of and slandered today? Would, would this be the day that, that physical persecution would begin? Would they, would they lose their family or their, their friends that day? Would they still have a job when they got there? Would their employer found, find out that they were a follower of Jesus and threaten to, to fire them? I can imagine, I can imagine the anxiety that gripped them. They lived in fear of their lives every day not just from those in society, but from the government. This is, these are real anxieties, these are real fears. And when you hear that, it makes what causes our anxieties seem petty and insignificant. But brothers and sisters, 
your fears, your worries, your anxieties, they are not insignificant. They may not be caused by persecution, but it doesn't make your anxieties any less real. They're real. They're real. The cares and concerns of this world can easily cause you worry and angst. I know it. Usually those worries are based upon the fear of the, the unknown. Oftentimes those anxieties, they, they are a product of living in a sinful world with the reality that at any moment, it seems like at any moment, at any second of the day, that life could just go off the rails. You're worrying what's going to happen. You, you're, you're anxious about it. Peter gives us and these believers a remedy for dealing with our anxieties. He says in verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Peter urges these believers to take their anxieties, to take their cares, and to place them, to cast them onto their heavenly Father. Oh, that's one of, the, one of the wonderful things that we need to be, be reminded of is that Jesus cares and that he wants us, he bids us to come and to lay our cares at his feet. Part, part of our, our reason for worry is that we think nobody cares. We, we think that no, if they care, that they would do something about it. I'm here to tell you this morning, I think the Bible tells us over and over that Jesus cares. He cares. He always cares. And, and here's what you need to believe. It's hard to believe. Nobody cares more than he does. He wants to take the burden from you. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. I, growing up, we used to listen to uh, and watch uh, salty videos. Yeah, yeah, some of you, yeah. Go back and YouTube some salty. It's good stuff. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Party at Denise's house after. <laughs> Watching salty. Um, but one of my favorite songs from salty was I cast all my cares upon you. Cast all your cares, I cast all my cares upon you. I lay all of my burdens down at your feet. And anytime I don't know what to do, I will cast my cares upon you. That's what, that's what the Lord desires us to do, brothers and sisters to cast our anxieties, to, to cast our, our burdens on him. Remember, remember, we, our heavenly father is a big God. He's got big shoulders. And so he can, he, can, he can handle. There is nothing too small and there is certainly nothing too big that he can't handle. So cast, cast all your cares on him. You know what we shouldn't do? You know what we shouldn't do? is we shouldn't detach 
what Peter says here about humility and casting our anxieties on the Lord. They're connected. Often when we are anxious, it's because we think our lives are in our hands. We, 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 the, the struggles that we face, that we will face even the next moment, we think that we are the ones that have to solve them, to figure it all out. Peter says, don't trust yourself. Entrust yourself, to your hev- entrust yourself to your heavenly Father. Cast your cares upon Him. Because that's what humility looks like. I can't solve things. I'm not in control. What I can't do it. Take these burdens, Lord. Take them. I'm trusting you, Lord. Edmund Clowney, he says this. When we cast our cares on the Lord, we often find that they were the concerns of our pride, not the cares of his kingdom. A lot of our anxieties stem from our pride because we think it depends on us. We think that we have to solve it. The humble say, I can't do it. I need to cast these burdens on someone who can. And we have a heavenly Father who bids us, bring them, bring them, lay them down at my feet. Their anxieties on this path make it difficult, it's hard. And there is also an adversary that we have. We have an adversary on this path. First Peter 5 and 8 says, be, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Brothers and sisters, the humble are not not opposed by God, right? We have his favor. It is is those who don't trust in the word that have his opposite, the the proud that uh, uh, that God is opposed to. But the humble, they are opposed by the devil. He is against God's people. He, he, wants your, he wants your allegiance and seeks to attain it by any means necessary, which means that he doesn't play fair. He seeks to attack you when you are at your lowest and your most vulnerable. When you are alone, when you are full of anxiety, when you are distracted, These are the times that Peter says that this is why he says we need to be watchful and we need to be alert, which means we can't let our guards down because because the devil and his minions, they don't take days off. They're always watching and waiting for that moment. He's prowling around like a, a roaring lion, waiting waiting for the right time to strike. And when he gets you, he's he's simply not seeking just to rough you up a little bit. No, no, no. When When he gets you, his goal, his desire is to devour you. It is to destroy you. Brothers and sisters, the adversary that we face on this path is real. Spiritual warfare is real. 
For the Christian, it is a daily battle whether you realize it or not. And you know what? We, best, we need to realize it so that we are prepared and, and we can do what Peter tells us next to do, which is to resist him. To resist him. First Peter 5 and 9. Resist him firm in your faith. We are to be alert and sober-minded so that we can resist the evil one. Did you hear that? Can can you imagine that? Are, Are you listening to what that says? That you and I have the ability to resist Satan. This is something that we can do. Peter does not say make an attempt or or try to resist the devil. No, he says resist him, signifying that it is possible to do it. Not because we, we do it in our own strength, but because we resist him firm in the faith. Listen to what James says. 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and listen to this, and he will flee from you. (laughs) You and I can resist the devil. And James tells us that when we do it, he flees. He flees. He runs. He flees because we resist him in the power of Christ. We resist him because you and I are free to do so. We are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. You and I can say no to sin. You don't have to click when that ad pops up. You don't, you don't have to listen to the gossip. You can, you can turn it, tune it out. You, you can choose to respond with kindness and grace rather than a harsh word and in anger. You can, you can push back against the feeling of indifference to the word of God and prayer. You can fight off the laziness. You can do it, brothers and sisters, firm in your faith. You can resist Satan and the evil one. Know how he's going to come at you. Know those times where you're, you're going to be most vulnerable. Be watchful, Peter says. Be alert. Be mindful of your circumstances. Know know your proclivities and and where you are most susceptible to attacks so that when he comes, you can resist him. Oh, there are several ways to resist, but our primary weapons are spiritual. Ephesians 6. Paul tells us in 16 through 18 that in all circumstances we are to take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication all the saints. These, these are the weapons that, that we take up against the evil one. This is how we, we resist him. 
We, we take up the shield of faith and we, we put on the helmet of, of salvation and, and we, we read our Bible and, and, we, and we pray. If you want to resist the devil, you need to be taking up those weapons. Seek to fight them in your own strength. Ah, you're going to fail. You're going to lose every time. Take up these spiritual weapons to resist them. But Peter reminds them of another tactic here that is at our disposal. He says, we ought to remember that we don't fight alone. Christians, Christians are part of a brotherhood that is not just local, but it is worldwide, and they are fighting too. I don't know. I don't know. Some, some, some believe that we are going to be facing persecution here in the, in the United States, uh, physical persecution probably within our lifetime. I don't know. I don't know if that is true. Perhaps it will come. But if it comes, may we be reminded that we are part of a brotherhood? May we think about our brothers and sisters who who have suffered the same types of persecution, who, have, who, are, who are suffering right now and suffering even more than perhaps is gonna, the suffering that we're going to endure, and remember that they remained on the path. They pressed forward. They were able to resist the devil. You and I can too. Resist them. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. They, these saints were not alone. There were others fighting with them. Brothers and sisters, the path, the kingdom, it's not easy. These obstacles are real real anxieties. We have a real adversary who is always prowling, seeking to des destroy us. Because indwelling sin is not yet defeated, there will be times that the obstacles will jump up and get you. They're gonna, it's going to happen. Unfortunately, pride is going to get the best of you and you are going to think that you're, you can handle your cares and your concerns on your own. You're going to be full of anxiety and full of pride, thinking that you can do it on, in your own strength. There, sadly, there are going to be times when you're, you're not going to be as watchful as you should be. You're not going to be alert. And the, the devil is going, to, is going to catch you sleeping. And he is going to come up and get you. There are going to be times where that happens. It's in those times that you and I need to remember that our identity is in Christ. You need to hold on to the wonderful truth that Jesus was perfectly humble. That, that he, he, he fully, without doubt and pride, entrusted himself to his heavenly Father. 
And you know what he, why he did that? How he did that and why he did that? He did that for you. You need to remember and hold on to the fact that Jesus went into the wilderness and faced the full assault of the devil. And you know what he did? He resisted him. And he did that for you and for me. Jesus walked this path as an example. Yes, an example of a path that we are to follow. But he also walked it so that his perfect righteousness could be applied to us. You hold on to those truths. And when you succumb to that pride, and when the adversary jumps up and bites you, you remember there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have one who walked this path. He walked it alone, and he walked it for me. There are no shortcuts into the kingdom. The path is marked with humiliation and, and suffering. But that is never the end. That is never the end. The path that Jesus modeled is a path that went from humiliation to exaltation. To exaltation. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 5 and 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter is saying to these saints, I know that it is hard. I know the suffering is causing you to, to doubt, but that is never the end. The, the, the path doesn't end in destruction. It ends in glory. God will establish you. He will exalt you because your identity rests in the one who already walked the path. And Paul tells us that he suffered. He suffered. He, he humbled himself and taking on the form of a, of a servant and, and, and being found in the likeness of, of men. He humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. That wasn't the end of the story. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the end. Jesus humbled himself, humiliation to exaltation. And then, and then Paul tells us in Colossians 3.3, 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then where will you be? Then you will also will appear with him in glory because we're in, we're in Christ. After and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You know what's so glorious and so wonderful about this? This is that Peter's writing here. Peter is not 
writing something that he doesn't know. This was the path that Peter walked. He went from humiliation. He was the one who, who said that I will never deny Christ. I will never deny him. He, but he was taken low because he did deny Christ. Then he was exalted. Apostle, Jesus says to, to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. When you turn, I've prayed for you, Peter, and when you turn, strengthen your brothers. Here is Peter telling them, this is the path that we walk. I've walked it. I'm walking it with you. Humiliation. There is suffering. There, there's an adversary. There, there are difficulties. There are anxieties. The path doesn't end in destruction. It ends in glory. Humiliation through exaltation. It's the path that Jesus modeled. It's the path that these saints and all God's people are called to follow. It's the path that we follow, brothers and sisters. It's a difficult one. It's hard. There are anxieties and there's an adversary. But the end is glory. Let us remain on the path. Let's pray.